Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye. I was waiting for you to say my name. I don't know why. <laughs> Austin <laughs> Ye and... Mayu, what's going on, everyone? Austin, what have you been up to? Man, I uh, still haven't gotten a new mic. So this is take number three because the first two pay- takes, <laughs> my <laughs> mic just like totally froze and made some robotic noises. But like, I, I got to get on that, man. Awesome. I'm sorry to the audience who's got to deal with this audio. Dude, you're making wholesaler money now. You got to invest in yourself, Austin. <laughs> yeah, I'm still frugal. <laughs> that hasn't changed. But uh, Yeah, driving in a Tesla. Hello, frugal. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm very excited for my Tesla. That's actually coming in mid-May. So I wanted it originally for June, but I'm going to be heading to Mexico next week. Not next week, this week. Oh shit. Time flies. Yeah, it flies by. I'm heading to Mexico at the end of this week. Um, and my plan was to chill in Mexico for a while, but I'm so fucking excited for the Tesla. I was like, all right, I'm going to go to Mexico, come back. And I'm going to drive a Tesla, but the Tesla got postponed. So now I'm just going to be back for no reason. You're going to have to quarantine <laughs> for two weeks, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to have to quarantine for two weeks after. Um, so I'm getting tested tomorrow, but it should be a, it should be a good time, man, because I am, uh, I'm just so sick of being stuck in all of the time. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to go for as much walks as possible in Toronto, but it should be good to be out in a totally different place. Awesome, man. Um, I guess our, our, our nice cash injections are coming at a good time. We, we wrapped up uh, two birds. Um, I guess one of them, we'll just talk about those for a bit. So we had uh, one du- one duplex. It was super annoying. We, we closed it. I don't know when we closed it. I think it was like November or so. I think it was October. The and, student and rental, we, right? Yeah. We, so we bought it for yeah. a good price, right? Like we bought it at 310 student rental, three plus four bedrooms. And and like we, re- we refinanced it maybe a month and a half later. I think it was like at the end of December, early January. Um, and the appraisal came in like terrible. Right, like it came in yeah, like three fifty or something, and we were just like, "What the hell?" There's no point in refinancing this. And of course, we bought it on Austin's name, and then Austin decides to quit his job, right? So, so now we're in a situation where um, we basically have to refinance it right away so that I can co-sign it while I still have a job. And then, uh, but but we got our appraisal back this week, and that came in. What did it come in at? Like four fifty? Uh, came in at four thirty. Four thirty, yeah. So, so it's yeah. still a solid bird, considering we didn't have to do too much in renovation. We put like fifteen k in renos in. Like it was yeah. very, very cosmetic, minimal amount of work. Uh, nothing yeah. too crazy. Came in at four thirty, but we we're planning to. We're not. We're gonna get all our money out plus more, but we're gonna save some of that money so we can um, reinject it into more renovations down the line. Cause we still want to make some changes to the property, right? Um, it's funny because when we bought this, we weren't expecting this to be a full bird. You know, we were thinking of this more as a cash cow type of play, nice student rental. Yeah. So we were fine with, we were fine with just leaving capital in there, but obviously like whenever possible, you might as well just pull out your capital and keep it on hand when, cause an opportunity could pop up down the road. Right. Um, the other one on Elliot, we bought that one back in, I think September, closed it October, November timeframe as well. Um, 215 purchase price per duplex, a little bit smaller for one. And we made it into three units. Um, that one was like a crazy rental project. Like it was basically a full gut top to bottom costed us just over 60 grand. But like that refinance came in super strong as well, 450. And we're going to be pulling out some nice cash plus a little bit more, um, like our investment plus a little bit more. So 
some solid wins on that on that side. Um, yeah, but I guess there are a lot of learning lessons on that project as well, right? I think we definitely underestimated the impact of COVID on how slow renovations are going to go. Material costs literally jumping up over 10%, like double digit increase in material costs. And uh, likewise, slowdowns, lockdowns, slow things down. We thought we were over all the lockdowns and all of that. But then, of course, like there's a lot of turmoil and, you know, it didn't go smoothly. It wasn't a smooth project, but we're happy with the outcome. We're happy with the results. It can't like that. That's like the like the yeah. re- realistic territory of real estate. Well, At one point, someone happy. stole copper wiring. No, it was at the plumbing. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, yeah, we got broken into our furnace. Um, our furnace broke down halfway and we had to replace it. That was like an unexpected cost. Um, oh, and then the best part about it, man, like we finished all of our rentals, got our appraisal done, and then the uh, the basement flooded, right? So the sewage backed up. Uh, so now we've got to spend a little bit more to basically just take out our, our previous material and try and dry it up and like put in some new stuff. But it, it's just a part of the game, right? Like all this shit happens um, and so much of it is unexpected. And I think that's something that for every new investor out there, it's just like, you can never really estimate every single thing that's going to happen in your project. My tiny flip project, our oil tank, we had an oil tank, right? It's like a very like old oil tank, but it was working perfectly fine. And it ran out of oil, Kim. So we call the oil companies to come and like refill the oil tank. And they're all like, yo, this tank's like way too old. We're not going to refill it. And we're just like, what's going to happen now? Like, like, what the frick? Like, the the oil tank is perfectly fine, but they're like, it's too old. So we're not going to, we're not going to refill it. So we're like, okay, let's put a new oil tank in because it's still the cheapest way. There's gas connection there, but like Enbridge is like, they want like 10 to 12 weeks to like, replace like put a new like gas line and we're like forget that it's gonna take too long because we're basically done um and then the new oil tank is about three grand and then the guy comes in takes a look at it and then he goes yo your furnace tank your furnace is too old to handle the brand new oil tank (laughs) so now we have to replace everything so it's just adding up and it sucks because we'd love to just do enbridge but it takes way too long yeah but you got it at a good buy that's why it's so important to get things at a good buy right fortunately the real estate market has been appreciating. So then there's that, like we can talk about all the negatives. Yes. But then there was also a huge positive that came out of it. And that positive literally outweighed any negative cost yeah. that, that could have incurred. Um, but yeah, like that's the reality of real estate investing, man. Like, and we've, we've done this so many times we've bird, we flipped, we like, I've seen a yeah. handful of off market deals and shit like this always comes up. It just doesn't get old. You just learn to manage the stress better. I wouldn't even say you get a bit stressed, but it's more so like, it's, it's like, more so like a fuck my life. <laughs> it's just like, ah, oh, another, another issue. <laughs> yeah. What's exactly. going on with you guys bought a duplex, right? You and Waylon? Yeah. Yeah. So we bought a duplex. Uh, it, it was one of our wholesale deals, right? For, for some odd reason, I think it was too much work for a lot of our buyers, but we thought it was a pretty freaking juicy deal. So we took it down ourselves. We are in the middle of working with a private financer to loan, uh, to loan us money and fully levered up hundred percent loan to value plus construction costs. Um, there's some good spread on that, right? So we have locked it up and we're going to be putting probably $60,000, 70,000 in rentals. And ideally it'd be a full burr and a cash cow will hit the 1% roll all day long. Where's um, that one? It's just about like, again, like being comfortable in, no, where, in your numbers and being, sorry. Where is it? This is in Sturgeon Falls. Oh yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, so it's all about being comfortable in your numbers, right. And, and being and, and over projecting for costs. So we definitely over projected for expenses as well. Hopefully we can keep that down and bring that to a better burr. But if shit hits the fan, at least we know we still got a good deal. Right. Um, if you buy right, like it's a, like little things can happen here and there, but it, 
it's perfectly fine. Um, but anyways, like we had so much going on throughout the week. Uh, but like we, we don't want to keep people here forever. So we'll we'll jump into <laughs> the podcast. like a little diary of Austin in my life. <laughs> <laughs> we need to do another one of those episodes where we just ramble because there's a lot on our mind. Uh, but that's neither here or there. We're gonna jump into today's episode. Today we have Cody Yay, my yay brother. We're not related. So I know some people probably think we're related because we have the same last name, but uh Cody, he is the first immigrant a generation immigrant from Taiwan, actually came to Canada when he was 18 years old. And uh, I actually met him in the, I guess the stock, the options trading scene, right? Like that's where he really made a big splash in a brand for himself. So he, he worked in a university as an engineer, then eventually quit his full-time job this January. So that's phenomenal. And now he's doing stock and options trading full-time. Um, we get into, uh, we get into all about I guess, I guess equities trading in this podcast episode, because um, it's important to diversify, right? Like yeah. what I've realized in investing is we're, we're fully levered into real estate. Great real estate's doing well, but it's also nice to know what other options there are out there to make some money, especially in a more passive way. Last thing before we get started, uh, Cody also has a course on option trading. I took it, I believe uh, a couple of weeks ago and it was a pretty good course. So um, if you guys are interested in learning more about option trading and getting into it, I definitely recommend taking that course. Um, so that is going to be down in the show notes below if you want to register for it. And he was gracious enough to give a coupon code RISE, R-I-S-E, all capital. You guys should know that if you put lowercase, I'd be offended. That'd be a branding issue, but all capital <laughs> RISE, R-I-S-E, 10% discount. Um, and yeah, guys, uh, like hope you enjoy this episode. Let us know what you think of it. Like, comment, subscribe, do whatever you can to support um, the podcast. Hello, everyone. Today we are joined with a very special guest. It's going to be an interesting episode, guys, and we'll we'll get you'll figure out why when we get into it. We're with Cody Yay, and just a disclaimer: Cody is not related to me at all, even though we share the same last name. Cody, how's it going, man? Good. Everything's going well. Yeah, glad to see you guys. You know, the rice hat is really nice. I like your hat too. His hat says "Say Yay Y E H." I should have that in my merch store. And then say two fire on the side. Yeah. <laughs> so Cody, for anyone that doesn't know you, why don't you give the audience a, a quick rundown of your many accomplishments? Because I don't even know where to start. <laughs> no, 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 definitely. Well, I came to Canada when I was age of 18. You know, uh, English is my second language. When I first came here, I have to raise my hands to ask question about math 12 question because I, I don't understand the question. But if I understand, I can answer it. You know, fast forward, you know, I went through school, engineering school at University of Toronto and, you know, <laughs> typical Asian, good at math, <laughs> don't want to write reports. So I jumped into engineer and, uh, and that was all a lie. I wrote a lot of reports and, you know, I, I, as a kid, I want to become a race car driver, but, uh, my family cannot provide that kind of environment. So, uh, you know, second priority, I went to study mechanical engineer, thought that I can touch on cars more. So I, uh, after I graduated, I started working at Honda, uh, the car manufacturer, worked a lot of overtime to, to really save up my, my down payment and bought my first house in 2016 and second one, 2017 and 2019, there's two more. And, you know, I quit my job last year, January, 2020, without knowing COVID, I might actually lose my job. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, I quit that because I, I replaced my, my, my six-figure income with the stock option strategy I am using now and preaching. And I'm very fortunate in that sense. And I started building other business on the side. 
you know, for the past year. And uh, I'm just very fortunate. It took up really fast. It's not like it's all <laughs> sunshine and roses, but I, I'm very happy I make that leap of faith. And I know Austin is just, you know, around the corner. By, by the time people listen to this podcast, he's already a free man. So yeah. Congrats, <laughs> congrats to Austin. Appreciate and it, man. man, it's it's a weird feeling. And now your own your own boss, you create your own schedule, but you gotta hold yourself accountable as well, right? So it's gonna be a lot of bumpy roads, a lot of up and down, but definitely very interesting. I will, you know, kudos to you and kudos to myself and kudos to whoever thinking about it. You know, you have to stuck through it. <laughs> oh, I absolutely agree with you, man. So there's so much to unpack there. First of all, let's so you started investing in real estate before getting into stock options trading, right? No, I was start uh, I, I learned stock and options back in university in 2011. Okay. Right, second year of university, I took corporate finance. I, I have business minor. By that time, the professor explained it things in the way that just so bore. And because it's a minor, so I took courses at night from seven to nine p.m. So, boring professor, boring content. It's just a mechanism, like nothing exciting about. It. I don't feel like I'm gonna make money. Or nothing was so, practical. It was all theoretical, right? So at that time, I just started investing in stocks. You know, participating. You know, some of the, <laughs> I bought some like. Uh, Loblaws, you know, participate in the Alibaba, <laughs> Alibaba uh, IPOs. And, you know, it's an, until 2016. And I start actually day trading as a second job at night. And, you know, I spend like five, six hours every day <laughs> preparing, trading, writing reports as a second job, right? So lack of sleep, no social life on the weekdays, and then attending a lot of uh, real estate webinars, uh, seminars at that time. I drive around a lot, podcasts and all that. So at that time, were you kind of split between the real estate world and the stock and the stock market world, like half half? Foot in yeah, both I world? mean, yeah, yeah, stock stock at that time is quite passive, and I was playing around with option more on the buying side at that time, just exploring all types of strategies, see which one works, which one works with my personality. And at night, I was actually trading the Asian market because of the twelve hour difference. I can actually do that, mm, right. right? And then it was very stressful, not very fun, so. When I'm not day trading at night, I go to real estate seminars. So, yeah. you, so you're busy hustling, man. I'm actually interested in digging into that a bit more on the stock market side, especially since you got started off. So it seems like traditional way of investing at the beginning, buying stocks, long-term buy and hold, a lot of growth stocks, and then you pivoted over to day trading, right? Tell me what that yeah. transition is. Tell me what day trading is and tell me what options are. Uh, let's break it down for people who are unfamiliar. Yeah. So buying stocks is the, the most simple things to do and to learn because, you know, what we learn is just buy low, sell high. If it's a good company, company will, the company's stock price will eventually reflect their growth and their earnings. So in the long term, it should go up if it's a good company, period. But now, you know, playing with option, playing with day trading. Day trading is really like playing with fire. It's really me trying to prove to myself. I don't know what I was trying to prove, like prove like, I can control my own emotion of greed and fear. Day trading, not so much of long-term investing. No, it's just almost like going to battle every day. And then just constant fear, constant greed. It's almost like GME going on every day for me, right? Within that one or two hour, I have to be honest with myself. Is this the right thing to do or not? And at let the me, end of the day- Let me ask you a quick question on day trading. You know, how do you day trade? Because I could easily just sit here just buy a stock and, you know, speculate maybe by end of the day it goes, uh, goes up and I sell it and I get out of it. Right. And I like, are you just kind of looking at 
I think the candlesticks and like trying to see like when yes. the technical analysis, right? Yes. Uh, so when I was day trading, technical analysis was a big part. I re I still have a lot of books. I make a lot of notes. I actually read the books in, in Chinese, right? So a lot of terms I don't even know how to say in English, but now I know how to draw all those stuff. <laughs> so back then I relied very heavily on technical analysis. And a lot of time, the hardest part about day trading is not doing stuff. The hardest part is not doing stuff. Hmm. Is when to enter. After you enter, you got to have the patient. Mm -hmm. And that's when everything starts coming to you. Like if it goes against you, you're like, maybe I should cut it at a loss. If it's in a profit is running up the way you want to run it, you're like, I want to take profit. But you can't. You have to wait for the right timing, right? So I was losing money left, right, center first four months. I had a coach. My coach was two years younger than me. So at that time, I was 26. She was 24. Oh, wow. <laughs> and she was driving a Rolls Royce around. I'm like, this girl is like, she's definitely a trust fund baby, right? But yeah. she's actually not. Mm. And, you know, she, <laughs> she started at age 18 and she had a coach. So she started back then and she trained everything, you know, to have the right mindset, no greed, no fear, just pure strategy from there, right? But Sorry, yeah, I was going to say, you know what I love that you actually mentioned? I'm so sorry to cut you off. No, when you said you thought she was a trust fund baby that that came to my mind as well we don't see the hard work you know she started when she was 18 that's six yeah. years of hard work that's longer than i've been in real estate right correct and yes. that is phenomenal right she i'm assuming she probably started like average everyday person but then worked up to that a lot of hard work and dedication goes in the background but continue i'm sorry i just need to drive that point down no that that's key and when i met her she was already somewhat successful because she was already managing a lot, a lot of money. And I actually reverse calculate how much money she was managing. And every, on a daily basis, the trades she make is 1% of the stock future market volume wow. in Taiwan. So imagine SMP, she was managing 1% of that. If she <laughs> make hundred percent, like all in. That's 1% of it. But of course, she only used 110, which is 10% of it, right? And that's how she control her emotion and all that, right? Yeah, but so, so that's the day trading side. Day trading side is, uh, you know, people mostly share about the glory side, but most of the time it's very boring, very stressful. I fell asleep. I fell asleep four, four days in a row. And I, that's when I stopped day trading because uh, <laughs> it's too stressful at work and I didn't have enough energy and I try to still workout and all that. And then my body cannot keep up. And like right now I don't have much that white hair, but back then all my side, like hairs on a side were all white. I was only 26. Oh no. <laughs> I was like beat up. Right. And yeah, now yeah. it's just all turned back to black. So definitely very interesting two years of my life. And that's where it took me where I am. That was the part of the process, mm -hmm. but you know, and this is the event, right? So like, like you said, Austin, a lot of people don't see those processes. Right. Exactly. And, and what are you doing now? So you started off, let, let's recap, you started off long term buy and hold growth stocks, now day trading, that was very stressful. And then now you moved on to options trading. Uh, I know yes. Mai is going to have a million questions on that because he he's <laughs> wants to start as well. But let, why, don't, why don't we dive into options trading? Yeah, a bit that, now. Cody, it was selfish reasons we brought you on here. We were like, <laughs> no worries. You're hey, the expert of the topic, man. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm totally willing to share it just for the limited amount of time. I try to really get as much as most across as much as possible, mm -hmm. right? So option trading in a nutshell, the difference between stock trading and option or stock investment option trading, the only difference is 
the volatility. Okay, volatility is something that we don't have in the stock. Okay, volatility is basically measuring the uncertainty in the market. So back when COVID happened, March 2020, the volatility skyrocketed. Okay, yeah. yes. At that time, the stock market pulled back 20, 30%. But in the option market, okay, because of the volatility, plays into part of the option pricing. It actually get exaggerated a lot. So imagine all the good days that get exaggerated. On the bad days, they get more exaggerated, right? So it's quite scary. But that's the thing that people need to learn if they want to get into options uh, trading, right? And, you know, a lot of people are on the buy side. That means, you know, <laughs> the GME thing is they buy a call. That means it's, you know, exaggerating this is they buy a lottery kick. They spend $10.00. They might hit hundred dollar, million dollar, but they, they, most of the time they might not see their ten dollar ever again, mm. right? So that is one part of uh, a lot of uh, beginners try to use a small amount of money and to make it big, right? And that's a very common rookie mistake, rookie mentality. They just think I have only a thousand, so I'm, you know, I can lose it, right? But that's a wrong mentality because a lot of time people will lose the golden goose. They'll kill the golden goose because of that mentality, right? But now, you know, now what I'm doing is more of on the selling side of option, okay? Mm -hmm. That means I'm not trying to go big or go home. I'm not trying to hit a home run, but I'm trying to get on base consistently and score consistently. That's a lot less stressful. I just spend 30 minutes you know, on my phone, on my iPad. And then the way selling option works is I'm kind of like a casino owner now, right? There's a lot of gamblers out there. But I'm just host the place, you know, I'll deal the card. I take $7 off each hand of the card. And then, you know, eventually I win, right? Even if I'm dealing other cards, I know 44% of the time you will win. So that means 56% of the time I will win. That means eventually, you know, as time goes by, I will win, right? Mm -hmm. well, another example is, you know, I'm like an insurance company, right? Everyone, I hope everyone pays auto insurance, right? And only a few of us ever make claim on auto insurance, right? So the insurance company keep those premium and then they invest in something that makes gives them the return and they already calculate the, the, the risks that they might need to, uh, you know, if someone makes a claim, they need to pay out, but you know, they already make that calculation. So they know they will win in the long term, regardless, unless something really catastrophic happened, right? And they still have insurance company to insure that. <laughs> So, mm -hmm. right. So are you, are you essentially, you're selling put and call options? Yes. That, yeah, that's actually part of, you know, big part of my, my, uh, uh beginner courses, you know, uh, uh, buying stocks, selling put and selling call options, just like an insurance company, right? We're earning premiums and that's very stable. That's my bread and butter. That's how I replace my, my six figure income. You know, uh, yeah. So then do you need a lot of capital to, to really do options trading? Because if you're buying, like every option contract is like a hundred shares, right? So if we're playing with TD here, hundred shares, hundred bucks, what is that? $10,000, I think. Yeah, around $76, <laughs> right? so yeah. Yeah, so, so then, or yeah, RBC or whatever, right? Like you need about like 10 grand, just that, that's just for one option. And then you're selling the option on that to maybe get five bucks an option. I don't, I don't know, we're just making up hypothetical numbers here, right? But yeah, like yeah. five bucks an option. So then maybe you make like 50 bucks or, or 500 bucks or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. So- you need to keep, you know, 10 to 15 K in reserves, you know, owning all this stock that might not be making you much of a return and you're making a return on the 500 bucks on the option contract. Is that essentially yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's part of the game. So yes, if you want to say, let's say RBC is a hundred dollar, just hypothetically, okay, if it's a hundred dollar, yes, if you sell a put option on RBC, you got to make sure you have hundred dollar times by hundred shares because you need to prepare to buy hundred shares. So you need to make sure you have ten thousand dollar Canadian in your account at any time to make sure that if you get a sign, you can buy, you can buy hundred shares of it. But in the meantime, while you wait. You know, you can get pay a premium. You know, usually I aim for one percent per week, right? So if it's ten thousand dollar, I get pay hundred dollar, right? It seems like a lot of people is like, Cody, you're nuts. Why are you risking ten thousand dollar to make one hundred dollar? And a lot of you know people on the buy side is like, I use a hundred dollar, I make ten thousand dollar, right? But the argument is that on our side, the chance of winning is really a lot higher, right? We can control our chance of winning. And then the worst case is we keep the premium, we get paid, and we just own a stock that's a good stock that pays dividend. We know RBC is the biggest <laughs> bank. You know, my partner, you know, my girlfriend actually works at RBC. Me too. Shout out to RBC. I, well, I don't know if you're listening to the podcast. I might not anymore. But <laughs> it's neither here or there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, so at $100 a week, it sounds like it's not a big return. But when you, I guess, look at it over a 52-week period, you're dealing with Okay, 40, 50%. 50%. Yeah. And I think like, that yeah. what was the thought logic behind it is, is that you plan to buy this stock anyway. So yeah. let's say I want to get into equities and yeah. I'm looking at RBC in today's price. I'm like, I want to buy RBC in today's value right yeah. now. Yeah. Instead, I could sell a put option, yeah. collect that premium. Yeah. And instead of buying it, let's say $100, I'm buying it at $97. There you go. Right? If it, there you go. Yeah. And, and yeah. if it doesn't work out, then I just made money on, on the on the premium, right? Yeah. So that yeah. that's a that's a very powerful strategy. Yeah. One thing that I, I would want to ask is is that so do you own any stocks in your portfolio for long term buying holds? And the reason why I ask this is because mm-hmm. the good thing about this strategy is yes, it's an income stream. But if you truly believe in the stock and you want to have ownership in it and you think the price of the stock is going to go up. It would mm-hmm. make more sense that you buy it today because when you own a stock, your upside is unlimited, right? Mm-hmm. If you have true, if you mm-hmm. truly believe in the stock, if you mm-hmm. sell a put option, your upside is a couple hundred dollars, maybe a thousand dollars. So Correct. you might lose out in the long term if you don't own the stock and this stock happens to blow up. So uh, curiosity with your portfolio, are mm-hmm. you also doing long-term buy and holds as well? Yeah, a great question. Great question. To elaborate on that, selling put option cap your upside. So I might get paid 1% per week if nothing changed. But yes, if the stock goes up 100%, the maximum I can take is that 1%. Yeah. But in reality of things, so when you're actually buying stocks, a lot of time, the moment you buy that stock, the stocks just start going down. You're like, ah, damn it. Right? That's happened to so many people. It happened to myself a lot. Right? And it's hard to get over that, that fear as well. So this strategy helps you enter, help you exit, and know your worst case scenario, right? But buying stocks definitely has its own merit. And I do buy stocks and sell cover calls in register account. I manage my mom's account, I manage my, my, my girlfriend's uh, parents' account, actually my girlfriend's account. Maybe she doesn't want me to tell, tell people that because she's raising money for RBC to mm-hmm. buy a mutual fund all okay, that she's so we'll actually cut, we'll cut that right <laughs> no, no i'm just joking uh, you know that's <laughs> fine she, she's fine i say it many places okay. she's a superstar uh, their branch just won uh number one in gta 
in oh, wow. 2021 so far. And then she went to congratulate her branch manager and her branch manager is like, it's because of you. Cause she's the top, like she beat FA, right? So she's now a BA, but she beat all the FA volume. So I'm very proud mm-hmm. of her. But yeah, I'm managing her. Shout mom, out so. to shout out to uh, Cody's girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she's killing it. Yeah. yeah. So I I I I buy stocks and sell cover call and uh, register account because you cannot sell puts and register account. So I just buy a good stock and then while I'm waiting, I sell a cover call. That's uh, you know, let's say if I buy the stock for sixty dollar, I sell the cover call for sixty five. Right. And I enjoy the premium. I could pay $5 or whatever. That brings down my cost of ownership from 60 to 55. And if it goes up, great. If it goes over, sure, I'll get rid of it. But if not, I keep reducing the cost of owning, owning those stocks. Right. And eventually I can own those stocks for free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that makes sense. For the viewers who don't know what puts and calls are, maybe we should actually start off, start off with that because we just went straight into it. What is a put and what is a call in, in, in the simple form? Yeah, let's say when we buy a call, we're bullish on the stock yeah, market. We right. want the stock to go up. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side, if we buy a put, we want the stocks to go down, mm-hmm. right? But now when we sell a put, we're kind of neutral to bullish because when we sell a put, okay, we can actually win if we sell you know, a, a put that's lower than the current stock price, right? If the stock price stays above our strike price that means mm-hmm. uh, the price we sign a contract at you know typically I, it's a bit lower than the current stock price if the stock price stays above that i'll keep all the premium so that means the stock price can go up sideways or go down or go in a circle like that uh, i mm-hmm. still make money right and you know on the flip side if i sell a cover uh, sell a call you know technically i want the stocks to stay the same or go down. So I get to keep my premium, mm-hmm. but because I sell the call a bit higher than the current stock price. So I give it some room to run. And in the meantime, I still get paid the premium. And then if, if the stock price goes above my call, you know, I have to force to sell my stocks, you know, at a higher price, which I already benefit from the appreciation. I keep the premium. It's a win-win, right? Very low risk strategy. Mm-hmm. If you have the stocks, okay. If you don't, <laughs> yeah, then then there's a big trouble. Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, for the viewers who want to learn a bit more about this, you should definitely check out what was that book? Money for Nothing. I think that was the starting point. Most simplistic way of explaining kind of the strategy that we're yeah. talking about right now. And to dive in a bit more about the the options trading side of things. So so what are you up to now? Is that what you're making a living from? Yeah. Yeah. Just, just to go back a little bit, if anyone wants to read that book, I actually have that book. People can reach out for from me or I actually run a webinar, a free webinar every two weeks, once every two weeks, free to sign up. I share a lot of my stuff. I actually share my December portfolio for $50,000 account. And my well, let's talk about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so sure. give the quick summary <laughs> recap of it. <laughs> So, so I share my return on it, right? Yeah. Uh, with $50,000, because it's a lot more tangible for a lot of new investors. So they want to see that. Now my account, yeah, it's, it's a lot bigger, close to half a million. Oh, wow. But, but you, know, I, I, you know, I have multiple accounts. So one account is dedicated to that, right? 50000 I share with everyone exactly how much I make, every single trade I make to, to make that kind of money, right? What's the return and all that. So people can sign up for my free webinar. I, I always give out 
free stuff like that, right? For beginners, definitely introduce you to it. But for more advanced people, that is, if you stay until the end, you will see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so Cody, so I have two questions here now, because you mentioned the $50,000 webinar. So anyone that's interested in that $50,000 webinar, no, it's right, a free webinar. I should. <laughs> yes, yes, um, yes. I guess anyone that's interested in that, where do they, where do they find you and where do they sign up for that? Uh, they can, you know, I send you the link so they can actually go to, uh, they can go to the link in the bottom or they can go to my website, you know, Cody, www.codyye, right here, Y-E-H. C-O-D-Y-Y-E-H dot C-O-M. And then at the top tab, there's a free webinar and click on it. You have the upcoming days and they can sign up. Okay, awesome. So so then my, my, my next question was more so, so on a 50,000 portfolio, what you should be targeting or expecting as a reasonable rate of return is roughly $2,500 a month. Did I do that math right? 1% a week would get you, oh, sorry, $2,000 a month. Yeah, if you, if you, let's say, yeah, $50,000, you know, let's say if I make uh, 1% per month, yeah, r- roughly that. Yeah, usually, you know, again, everyone is a bit different. Mm-hmm. Again, in that account, December, I make 6%, but not everyone's make that. Some of my students show me like 20%. And I just tell them, hey, make sure you know what you're doing. Make sure that's all good. Perhaps you then make one one percent two percent three percent is all on everyone because they trade on different stocks they have different risk and reward appetite but usually i'll, I'll tell people you know uh two to four percent is a good good average to aim for yeah right and, so i was uh, gonna just piggyback off of that two to four percent is a good average that makes sense because people who are making 20 percent doesn't that mean you're taking on a lot more risk i don't know if 20 percent is because the risk mitigation isn't fully there because I could probably earn higher in real estate if I wanted to take on more riskier assets, right? Like higher Correct. cash on cash return, so on and so forth. Correct. Is it usually the higher percentage when you take on more riskier assets where the, the premium is much higher, I would assume, right? Yeah, that's one thing. Or okay. imagine this. If I really want to own RBC at $100 right now, if it's $100, mm-hmm. yeah. I just sell it, put right at $100. I don't care. And I get paid 4% mm-hmm. in two weeks. And that's 8% in a month. But if RBC stays the same, we keep going up. Meanwhile, I can just keep selling that option. So I may get an exceptional return. Fair enough. You know? mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. might not be riskier, but it just means, hey, I'm willing to own the stocks yeah. at, at, at closer to the current stock price, right? Mm-hmm. I don't give myself so much downside cushion anymore. But as when, when the stock was going up from March 2020 to like, you know, end of last year, Everyone <laughs> looks like a hero, right? <laughs> as long as they have a good stock pick, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one common thing that we hear about option trading in general, I actually, it's more so with day trading. I, I, I also hear this with option trading and you probably get this a lot in your webinar or people probably ask you, is, is that if we listen to a lot of, I guess, those fundamental real estate investors, right? So mm-hmm. your traditional equity research analysts that work for banks, right? Mm-hmm. Your traditional, well, investment bankers aren't really on the equity side, but you know what I mean? Like your traditional finance person, they right. are advised by their teachers or a lot of the time, professors, coworkers, so on and so forth to not do uh, options because it's too risky. What misunderstanding do you think they have wrong or are they valid in their concern? They're valid in their concern. Mm-hmm. And 
back to my rookie mistake number one is a lot of people get into option trading because they don't have enough money to buy 100 shares of the stock. Mm. So now they say, I want to buy a call. I want a YOLO. I know GME is a garbage stock, but hey, whatever happening, short squeeze, whatever that means, I think the stock is going up. Everyone's talking about it. It's so hype. It's so exciting. You know, I don't mind putting a thousand bucks or even 10,000. I have friends put in 50,000. And that's all the money he has to invest. And that, that's a scary part, right? Because if it works out well, yes, might turn 50,000 to 1 million. But if he get that false confidence and don't know how to portfolio size, right? If you have $50,000, sure, really put all money in that one risky strategy. You should yeah. spread it out a little bit, right? But if people get that false sense of confidence, and then, then, you know, let's say three times in a row it works. The fourth time you put all in and you lose it all. Wipe all the game, wipe all the effort. And now they go around and tell people, this is a scam. This is a scam. It's gambling. Mm. But that's the wrong mentality, right? On, on my side of things is, yes, you need a little bit more money, but we are basically buying off-market deals. I'm basically... Yeah saying, hey, I already did my market research in, in this real estate market, right? I, I, I buy a house here. Now I want to buy my neighbor's house. My neighbor is afraid his house price will go down because of CMHC, say 20, 30% drop. Yeah, so yeah. I go up to him and I say, hey, you know what? If your house dropped by 10% next year, this time by three-year appraiser, I will buy it at that price, mm, okay? But you mm -hmm. pay me $10,000 for that mm -hmm. contract. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you pay me 10,000, but hey, I hedge your fifty thousand or hundred thousand dollar drop, that ten percent, right? So if he's really afraid, right, he will pay me that money for that for that option contract. Of course, this doesn't right. really happen in real life, but this is happening every day, yeah, on stock market, right? So the worst case for you is if the if the house price dropped ten percent by next year, you buy his house at a discount, and you already did your analysis. You know, is cash flow positive? It's a good area. It's just temporary blip all that but if it only goes down by nine percent eight percent seven percent where it stays the same or go up you keep all the premium from your, your contract and you go back to him and say hey, are you still afraid can we sell you another contract yeah it's yeah. interesting that you say that I, I i do think something very similar happens in the rent to own market where people buy a contract to buy a, a house at a future valuation the investors sell that contract in exchange for a premium and all that stuff. But, you know, my, my I, I do have one question. So the reason I, I like real estate, right, is you, you've yeah. got your big REITs that, that buy those 100 plus, 200 plus unit apartment buildings. You've Correct. got the medium sized, you know, family owned companies, et cetera, that, that specialize in that 50 to 100 units. And then you've, you've got like a piece of the pie for, for small investors like us three, right? Like when we're buying like a single family duplex. Small potato, yeah. Yeah. It, like there's a piece of the market that's untouched because it's too small for a REIT. It's too yeah. small for like, I don't know, a lot of people, right? Yeah. My, my entire thesis behind the stock market is, and this came back to, you know, why I didn't really believe in investing in the stock market. I know we're not talking about the stock market. I know we're talking about the options market, but still, is that there are these big banks, big hedge funds, hedge funds, like big, like, you know, all these traders that spend millions of dollars in doing research and monitoring the market down to the minuscule second, right? Mm -hmm. Who am I sitting behind a chair and just going, you know what, I'm going to buy TD today because I think it's going to go up. And what do mm -hmm. I know that another equity research analyst or another hedge fund doesn't know, right? Yes. So like, you know, how are we making money? Shouldn't in a, in a perfect market, shouldn't the options be trading at exactly like probability risk calculated and all that stuff? Shouldn't it, 
like it should be a perfect market, right? And there shouldn't mm-hmm. be room for people like us to make money in the stock market. Gotta look at the Black Scholes model. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Black Shore is uh, basically the pricing for option, right? Yeah. Black Shore and binomial. But great question, Mayu. Great question. Very good question. I haven't been asked that before. Surprise, okay. surprise, surprise. So I think the answer to that is yes. If there's a perfect efficient market, right? Efficient hypothesis. Yeah. Right? That's what we learn in school. If, yeah. if everything is already known, is already reflected on the price of the stock or the option. But here's the thing that will never change is the human nature. As long as there's a human sitting on the other side making trades, there is greed and there is fear. So in March, nothing really changed. Good companies still making money, but why do good companies still drop 30% overnight, you know, over a month? And at that time, you know, if you're a lot of people just like froze, you're like, I already own that share. Oh my God. Now should I sell at a loss? Most people sell at a loss thinking it will go down further, Mm. but it's really counterintuitive for you to think this is a good stock. Now, without any coach, anyone helping you, how do you convince yourself this is a good stock? I should borrow more money or pull my cash from somewhere or HELOC and buy more, knowing that, holy cow, the world might end, right? Everyone's thinking the world might end. How do you become greedy when others are fearful? Or how do you become fearful when others are greedy? The human side of things never change, and that's the toughest part, just when I was day trading. Now, to answer the hedge fund side, believe it or not, yes, they spend a lot of money on researching but here's one thing. It's almost like when they think they know everything, they right. tend to be overconfident and they tend to take too much leverage. Let's say if they only have $1 million, they borrow up to $3 million, thinking that we are the best researcher. We know everything. We know all the risks, blah, 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 blah. We can prepare for everything. But yes, usually they're right. But when the market smack them, that's when they lose big. They can wipe out three years gain. Right, and that's because they're overconfident, but they they think they're too sophisticated. You probably meet a lot of those sophisticated investor. They they everything is down to percentage, down to a dollar, but they they forget the big picture is where are we in? Right, are we doing the right thing? Like, can we handle the worst case scenario? A lot of times, like we have everything down to the T. We have this alert. We have this <laughs> AI doing this that. But if one thing goes wrong, the entire machine will just collapse. Right. That's, that's the trick for them. Right. But if you're just at Warren Buffett, just like buy low, don't, don't worry about it. Even though for the past year, uh, I think it's really not Warren Buffett. It's his successor that, uh, that are, are controlling the fund because I never seen Warren Buffett sell so many stocks at a loss before. And I seen that in 2020. So there's a couple of his successors probably doing that. And I think he's just letting them play, you know, learn their lesson and all that. So even the best manager, right? They shake up all the airline stocks at the worst price possible, right? Right. So, so, so the, the, that, that's, that's a fair point, I think. And I also want to ask you one more question before, before we move on. You know, with, with stock options trading, like how much of it is, because you always hear, you know, people say it's 30 minutes on my phone in the morning, like I'm just going to process this deal, blah, blah, blah. And then you start researching this thing and then some people are talking about Delta and gamma and alpha and all these different like metrics that you can use to kind of evaluate <laughs> yeah. where stocks are going. Right. So how much of stock options trading is technical analysis versus, you know, the other side of it, which is just instinct and just like buying these like known names and making like purely like safe bets. Right. Like mm-hmm. how much of it is just kind of 
just process a, a trade and how much of it is you got to sit down and do some technical analysis here. Yeah. Well, technical, Great. sorry, just to specify, technical is momentum. Fundamental yeah. analysis is what you meant, Mayu. Okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's, it's all good. Great question, Mayu. Great question. So here's the thing. I'll bring it back because a lot of your audience are in real estate, right? So back in real estate, before we decide where to buy or what type of, what type of house we buy, we already study a lot, do a lot of analysis, go to a lot of seminars, right? Local group and all that. So we already did our homework. It's a very front end loaded process as well. Same as stock and option, unless you're like a cowboy and just YOLO it, right? Usually, you know, what, what I teach my students is, you know, put in the time to learn it, play in the paper trading account. So make your rookie mistake there. Okay. And then see the results. You're making consistent money. Then when you put in real money, now the human side of things coming, the greed and fear coming might be a bit different, but you already work out all the rookie mistake, right? So same, same, same in real estate stock option. You want to start with fundamental analysis. That's the key thing. It's like buying real estate. I, first I got to make sure is a sound market, you know, good population, population growth, good GDP, diversify industry, interest so rate, so mm-hmm. ho- yeah. hopefully stay low. Right. Yeah. And all that. Then after that, you look at, you know, and, and the real estate market, no one really look at chart. They only look at the changes in it. But in stock market, you look at technical analysis. And Austin mentioned it's a momentum, right? It's a little bit more than momentum. It's actually showing you the greed and fear in everyone's mind. And the only reason why technical analysis work is because everyone read so many books, everyone listened to so many technical analysis, so they believe it works. They it's believe a self-fulfilling prophecy, you would say? Yes, self-fulfilling yeah. prophecy. Is, there's no meaning of Apple at $100. There's no meaning of it. $120, there's no meaning. But because the last time in March, it came down to $100. So now that became, say, only as bad as COVID, it will hit $100 again. So that become a really strong they call it support, mm-hmm. but there's no meaning of it. Can it go down to 80? Yeah, <laughs> right? But it's mm-hmm. only because people seen that level. So now they're like, okay, only if COVID happened, it go, can go down to that, right? So technical analysis will help you find a better time to enter and exit the market, take profit. But at the end of the day, fundamental is still the key. You know, play with good quality stocks, long-term will grow. Then you can really close your eyes, go on vacation for 10 years and come back and, you know, <laughs> So have a fruitful uh, profits, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we do want to touch on your course as well. You mentioned that you have students. So I'm assuming that you're doing some coaching as well on the side. Before we get into that, one more question on my end. <laughs> I yeah, know we're just full. It. I feel like we kept on saying one more question, but it just adds up. This is very interesting. So what, like this stat is probably off. I read this in, I think it was the money for nothing book. I'm pretty sure the stat is either outdated or they probably pulled it out their ass. Something like 80, 90% of options expire. They never get, they, they, they never get redeemed. Right. Is it eight? Is 90%. it really 89? Is it C, C, okay. CBOE? So uh, Chicago board of uh, uh, option exchange actually published that. Okay. So yes, most 90% of the option expire worthless. Worthless. Yeah. Now take it with a grain of salt because if you're buying side, that means 90% of those options, the lottery you bought, you never win the price. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But if you're on the selling side, that means you know you can control your risk and reward. But mm-hmm. yes, higher percentage of the time is just expire worthless. You keep the premium. 
So we're on the selling side of things, right? So let me ask you a question now. So how many times did you have to end up buying the stock? Let's say, I don't know if there's a percentage. Obviously, you can't think of that right off the top of your head. But if you can give a ballpark guesstimate, how many percentage of the time did you actually have to purchase the stock when selling a put option? Yeah, the more aggressive I go, the higher the chance I need, I might need to buy the stocks, right? And depending on the market is going up or down, if it's up market, less likely for me to buy a stock because my insurance just expired worthless. But on regular basis, I'll say maybe 80, 90%. I might need to buy a stocks I want to buy anyway. And I keep the premium. So I bring down the cost of ownership, right? 80 to 90% of the times that you sell a contract. You I don't need to. Oh, yeah, oh, so okay, only okay. 10, 10 to 20% of the time I need okay. to buy. Oh, okay, buy, okay. Right? And so it worked out to you around 10 to 20%, you would yeah, say? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. Because of all the fundamental, because of the technical analysis that helped me enter and exit better, right? And and here's a very common thing. A lot of people, a lot of my students have that mentality is, Cody, now you teach me a good tool. But mm. when they need to buy the stocks, they freak out. They forget that this is a stock I want to own anyway. Now I can own at a discount. Mm. They, a lot of times they forget about that. They say, Cody, I don't want to buy those stock. I'm like, dude, you forget that. <laughs> you already established you want- that. You mm-hmm. want the stock. Imagine if you buy the stocks outright as 10% higher and it's already 10% drop. Now you can buy a 10% drop. They're like, oh yeah, Cody. Okay, great, great. Okay, now, <laughs> now I, I feel okay. But that's a very yeah. common thing, right? They just say, I don't want to buy stocks. I don't want to buy stocks. There's nothing wrong with buying stocks, right? Yeah, I think people's mentality is is that they still see this as an income stream. You have to go in this strategy being an equities investor wanting to buy the stock, right? And if yes. you don't have that mentality, just don't do the strategy at all because you don't want to buy the stocks, right? Like you shouldn't be doing it because at the end of the day, you might it might be 10 to 20% of the times where you do have to buy the stock. Yeah. Or start a paper trading account with fake money and see it for yourself. Are you comfortable, right? Play with the money that you think once you get comfortable, that's the real money you're going to put in. Feel it from there. So so Cody, if you were talking to someone that's, you know, just looking to get started in this, like what words of advice would you give them? And, you know, if you were talking to yourself when you were like 20 years old doing your day trading and and all, or that might Mm -hmm. be a little bit after, but you know, what kind of advice do you have to share with them? You know, start small, but always start and keep learning. You know, always listen to the opposite side of perspective. So don't always live in your, you know, it's not just selling options, the best thing or buying options, the best thing. Always listen to the other side of things and then absorb all that and make the decision for yourself, right? You can't just hide under a cave, right? But don't get afraid, right? Don't, don't think that you always need to get perfect at something before you start, but you can always use less money and then start playing with it. Right. When I was day trading, I started $10,000, you know, even after four months of losing, I was only down to 6,000. I, I only lost 4,000, but because our star is small. Right. So, so, so this is a, uh, this is related to that. Uh, when you say start small, how much is small? Like what, what is a good dollar value to have in your portfolio? If you want to start doing option trading. In uh, the selling side of strategy, right. I I'll yeah. say 10, 30, 50,000, a good amount to start. I have students. Well, 10, 30, and 50,000 is a very big range. So, like you'd say about yeah. like 25 to 30,000 is fair. Yeah. Yeah. I have students start at 6,000. And then I, oh. I just ask them, how much, 
how, how long did it take you to make the money back for the course fee? And he said 1.5 months. So mm. he's definitely one of the ones on the lower end. And I have VIP clients that have close to $1 million in the trading account. So this strategy works, but if you have more money, you have more selection of stocks because you can afford to buy more hundred shares of a higher uh, ticket price stock, right? Mm -hmm. So right. So if people want to learn from you, how could they do so? So one of the avenues of the webinars, is there any other things that you offer? Maybe one-on-one yeah. -on -one coaching, maybe a course, maybe like, yeah, let's get into that a bit more. Hey, before you pay for anything, go to all my YouTube videos. There's 15 of them, okay? They're all free. I, I, I The last few, I actually chat about uh, option selling as well, right? And then start with the basics of uh, fundamental, technical, buying stocks and all that. So consume all those free stuff first. Come to my webinar, you know, listen to all the interviews that are on my website, right? Codyye.com. There's interviews there and this interview as well. Listen to all this free stuff and see if it's for you. If you're interested, then sure, we can explore further, right? If you think you have the right mindset, you have enough time and, you know, you want to make some cash, generate some cash flow on, on top of your real estate investing because real estate investing is really good for wealth generation, but still quite cash poor unless you do the right birth strategy, right? So, to just alleviate some stress if you want to do that. And then this is some skill that you can learn and take away for your life. You can do it anywhere in the world, right? Yes, on your phone, 30 minutes, right? And that's how I build my business around it as well, right? I want to be able to have that freedom and potentially save up your down payment for your next investment property faster or save it for your first house or, you know, save it for your vacation or, or anything or for your RSP or anything, right? That will substantially help you get to the next level a lot faster, right? So it's definitely a powerful strategy to accumulate some capital for down payment. And you can, it kind of can go yes. hand in hand in real estate. I've actually known some investors out there who are big advocates of this strategy. They yeah, Mark, take, Mark Lawfer is Mark a big Lawfer, one. exactly. <laughs> he takes that money and he just uses it for real estate again, or uh, as you were saying, lifestyle, but whatever like floats your boat. Yeah. yeah, it just takes a lot. And a lot of people have a lot of side hustle, right? Doing this website for people running this errand or whatever. But if you learn this strategy, yes, it's a bit front end loaded. So you need to put in the time and patient. But once you learn it, you can probably fire a lot of your side hustle. So instead of spending hours on that per week, now you can do something else. You don't have to be stressful and you make way better return on time. So far, this strategy is the best return on time that I can get. Right. It's actually better than my real estate. Of course. Right? Real estate is quite time consuming. <laughs> yeah. A lot of it more is, nonsense yeah. because now you just someone you don't know you're dealing with. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, Corey. I think this was a very different episode for our guests from the normal real estate related, you know, guests that we have here. You're an investor, a real estate investor as well. As we didn't even get to touch on that, but <laughs> yeah, but I, this I think much more interesting. Lot, I think, yeah. A lot more value with this discussion that we had. Um, so, so Cody, you know, at this point, we usually like to ask our guests three questions. Um, you know, wh where do you see yourself five years from now? Whether that's, I know you've got multiple businesses. So, so we talk about real estate, we can talk about the options and just your personal life as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, I will keep all my, uh, real estate, uh, holdings. I'll keep buying more and I, I'll, I always have property manager that I trust. So I'm okay on that side. And I really want to be everywhere. So I, you know, not to be cliche, but I love traveling. And I, the, the first goal is to retire my girlfriend so she can do it with me. And then, you know, in the future, I might have kids. I'm age 30, so I might have kids soon. So the idea is that five or 10 years from now, 
I can spend less time at building my business, but I'm going to earn more money, but I have more time and freedom to travel, spend time with family, or you know, just do anything I want or build more business if that's something what I want, right? So you know, that kind of touched vaguely on it, but that's really the biggest goal. I don't try to kill myself by putting in more time and effort, but it's really what is a good leverage that can have the best return on time, right? So stock options, one. Real estate is one, right? YouTube could be another one, right? All the previous videos still pay me a couple thousand dollars per month. <laughs> so yeah, well, that nice. could be another one, yeah. right? And I'm helping a lot more people making a positive impact, no matter how big, how small that is. I'm making an impact in my own way, right? Awesome. Awesome, man. Love it. And second question is, if you won $10 million and you had seven days to spend that $10 million, Holy how would you God. do so? You, you threw a curveball. I mean, I, I threw a curveball. You didn't put in that seven day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll, I'll buy uh, $10 million all GME stocks. Oh, fuck. You <laughs> turned that to $100 million. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Take that, I'll, hedge funds. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never do that. Yeah. I, I'll probably uh, use that uh, $1 million out of that $10 million to pay off my principal residence because I don't really get to write off. I'll just pay off, you know, from now on live kind of quite free, right? No stress on that side. Mm -hmm. And I'll use $2 million to fund my stock and option account. So based on my track record, if I can make 40, 50% per year, $2 million will make me what? Almost $1 million. So, you know, of course there's a tax side. I should put in the core of this and that, but again, I just going to put in my trading account. So I know I'm comfortably living, right? And then another million, I'll probably create an account for my mom, another million account for my dad. So they each have around half a million per year. So I just say, hey, you guys don't, don't have to do whatever you guys do. Don't stress about money. I take care of that. So you, you guys go enjoy, right? And I'll actually, this might be something more surprising. You know, I'll put $1 million in uh, infinite banking, uh, which is a whole life insurance policy. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand this concept, but I'm just trying, I just got introduced to it. I'm trying to read more on it. But the idea is, you know, you can basically buy a policy and at the end, it'll pay you more and you can use that money. You loan it out and to invest in stocks or invest in real estate. So that, that's, that's the idea. And $2 million to do a, a burr on a multifamily uh, property. $2 million. You legit had it down to the science, eh? I love and, you're the uh, most particular answer. <laughs> and <laughs> okay, there's two more million dollars left. Let's spend uh, that. <laughs> I, can, I was spent one million dollar because already eight million dollars quite well allocate to the right asset mm -hmm. for the long term. So I'm not worried at this point, but one million dollar will go to angel investor. That means I will sit on like, like maple leaf angel investor. So I will go through a lot of business ideas business model so i keep up to date on the newest thing but at the same time i see potential in people and i know how they feel because i was once there and i want to invest in and see them successful and then they can 10x their business mm. and you know let's keep my business mind sharp and i help out uh, startups so there's one million dollar left okay this is a bit, a bit special i never heard anyone say this before but i want to start a foundation uh, kind of like a charity thing to fund, let's say, you know, I came from Taiwan. I want to fund some uh, very sharp, very smart, very hardworking student in Taiwan to study abroad. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like a, a scholarship program. I lent them the money for free, 
right? They study at whatever U of T, uh, Laurier or Walu, whatever, or in US, they are, they are top of the top. I know they definitely can pay back, but in return, you know, I don't want them to pay me interest for that four years or whatever, but in return, I will have side project for them to do outside of school work, real project I'm working on and at, give them exposure to, whether that's marketing, whether that's doing some crazy stuff on cars, I'll give them that according to their specialties, right? So they get real world experience and then they study for free and later on they can pay me back or whatever. Maybe I don't need it anymore. So that's the idea, right? And I, awesome. I, I wish someone could give me an opportunity, even though, yeah, I'm very fortunate. All right, guys, let's start a GoFundMe for Cody. $10 million. Let's make it. Let's make this happen. <laughs> yeah. Love it, man. All right, Love buddy. It. So if you could have dinner with any person dead or alive, who would you choose and why? There's two people. Number one is Elon Musk. Uh, I don't think I need to explain why. Elon Musk, all the odds are stacked against them. Even his own idol, uh, Armstrong, right, was uh, spoke very lowly of him, of commercial, you know, uh, spaceship, right? So with his kind of courage and with kind of innovative mind, with his kind of excitement that gives me, like that's kind of helps me wake up at, in the morning give me a reason. I want to speak to him, right? And uh, <laughs> funny joke on the side, I actually sent him an email back in 2013. Oh. <laughs> and then he asked, yeah, asked, I asked for an internship at Tesla. So I was an engineer, right? You know, at that, that time, Tesla, I asked for an internship, I sent a cute email. I said, Hey, Elon Musk, you know, my name is this. I want an internship job. I'm from Toronto. I came from Taiwan, this and that. Right. And he actually forwarded my email to HR. No way. That's crazy, <laughs> dude. So at that time, I'm very proud that I took probably five seconds of his time or maybe one minute of his time to read that email. So I was very proud. I didn't talk to him yet. Right. So that's first person. The second person will be a Lewis Hamilton. You guys know who that is? No, no idea. He is the Mercedes Benz uh, formula one driver that so far he's on par with Michael Schumacher. Right? A lot of people know Michael Schumacher is the top of the top formula one driver that won you know, six or seven championship. Lewis Hamilton, my age, one year older than me, reach that status right now. I want to know what he is thinking, how to be at the top of that, right? Because a lot of time, trading and race car driving are very, very similar. And, you know, just on a side note, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be getting a Porsche, join a Porsche club to get into the racing team, you know, just oh, nice. fun, networking, <laughs> and and just do something fun. You know, I, I don't want to have all the money, but not, not do anything fun, right? Yeah. So I, I want to talk with Elon Musk, Lewis Hamilton, just to get in their brain. And maybe I can ask them to be my mentor. Then maybe I'll turn that 10 million to 100 million. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you're going to do that regardless, man. You're, you're super ambitious. This podcast was a great change of pace because uh, we actually haven't talked about equities, options trading or anything like that. And it's a great way to diversify your your earnings, right? So, uh, I mean, a big part of investing in general is diversification. Real estate's one great asset to do so, but it is important to go into different asset classes as well. So thank you for dropping all of that knowledge, Cody. Really appreciate it, man. And if people want to reach out to you, connect with you, if they want to, yeah, if they want to talk to you, how can they do so? Yeah, I'm always on Facebook, Instagram, yeah, my website, and Really, if they really want to reach me, <laughs> my website has my email address as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, shoot me an email if you want to chat or or anything. Like don't don't 
feel like you can't reach out to me and all that. Like just reach out to me for fun stuff. Right. Awesome. Awesome. And you actually were gracious enough to give us a, a, a dedicated link <laughs> to our listeners in Rise. And we'll also drop that down below. It's, it's 10% off your options course. So for anyone interested in looking to diversify the income stream, feel free to click the link below and check that out. And yeah, man, like, again, this was an amazing episode. We didn't get to touch on your real, real estate journey. So we're going to probably need you need you back on to, to hear <laughs> that side of things. And yeah, uh, guys, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to show your support by liking, subscribing, commenting, doing whatever you can to, to show love to this podcast. It yep. keeps great guests coming on like, Cody. So thank you so much, everyone. And remember to invest smarter and live better. 